Thinking about the end of life is not easy for people nearing death. The good news is that up to 90% of pain and suffering can be controlled if you follow a best practices model developed by the World Health Organization. But the bad news is that over half of all Americans do experience unwanted pain and suffering during their final days. And the numbers are even greater for people of color. According to the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization, African Americans, Asians, and Latinos have less access to pain medication and comfort care at the end of life compared to whites. In the first of a two-part series, KLW's Joanne Marr looks at the reasons for these disparities among African Americans. I got a BiPAP over there, a little black BiPAP. I put that on my nose for nighttime to breathe with, and I have a um, a concentrator. The ones I take every four hours, what they give you. Early in 2018, East Oakland resident Sharita Berry was in great pain and having severe difficulties breathing. She went to the hospital and was diagnosed with COPD, chronic lung disease caused by years of heavy smoking and drug abuse. There's no cure for COPD, and her condition is rapidly getting worse. This, you take this thing twice a day, in the morning, and at night, it opened up the airways. When Barry's doctors gave her the bad news, she needed guidance on what to do next. She could choose the comfort care provided by hospice, or she could undergo invasive surgery and be attached to a ventilator for the rest of her life. These aggressive treatments wouldn't cure the disease, just give her a little more time. But the doctors had a hard time communicating with Barry. Her daughter, Ashley Hunter, says there was a lack of trust. She told me she had a, she woke up and she saw a dream. She told me there's a lot of different ones of gorillas. So the doctor was all gorillas or they was like robotic. She was actually talking about doctors like doing something to her. She went through a lot of comas. So when she was in the coma, she was saying that she saw that. Barry's doctors finally brought in palliative care specialist Dr. Jessica Zitter to help out. Rather than dominate the conversation with medical jargon, Zitter let Barry talk for a long time. As she listened, it became clear what Barry wanted. Sounds like you you would not ever want to live on a breathing machine. She goes, oh, no. And, and then I said, well, what do, you, what do you think about being on a breathing machine again? She said, well, I'm afraid I wouldn't get off. I said, I'm afraid you wouldn't get off, too. And she said, I don't want it. And that was it. There was the answer. Can you brush my hair for me, please? Oh, yeah, girl, you just don't know how good that feels. Sharita Berry is now at home, receiving hospice care. Her daughter, Ashley, is her part-time caregiver. My mama knows that I don't like seeing her in the hospital. She knows I'm more comfortable with her being with me or closer to me. So I think that's awesome part of the decision why she wanted to just be here and just, you know, around me when, she, when it happened. In addition to being a palliative care specialist, Dr. Zitter also works as an ICU physician in Oakland. Most of her dying patients are African-American. In 2013, there was a, a survey done by the Pew Center, and what was found was that African-Americans do tend to die more often on uh, machinery uh, in facilities, away from home, in pain, and then, then white patients. 
He's cyanotic. Speed up the drip, add dopamine, hyperventilate him. Hospital TV dramas like ER and Grey's Anatomy are watched by millions of Americans. UC San Francisco palliative care researcher Dr. Alex Smith says these programs can mislead viewers into believing that medicine can cure most problems, even terminal illness. People often get their information from the sources that are available to them. And if you watch TV, as most people do, then you think, hey, yeah, sure, if this happens to me, bring me back, restart my heart, go for it. Because it's likely to happen, right? Because it happens all the time on TV. Smith says the sliver of hope can lead many people to make uninformed decisions without fully understanding the consequences. People, nobody wants the CPR itself, the chest compressions, the shocks, the breathing tubes. They want to be able to, like, get back to their former selves, to function in society, to go home, to live at home, not to live in the ICU on machines for a few days before dying. Medication administered as part of palliative care can alleviate some of the physical pain. But Dr. Zitter says heroic measures can immobilize frail patients, thus increasing their discomfort and suffering in the final days of life. Think about what that must feel like to be a dying person, unable to communicate on my back in a ICU or a ventilator facility with tubes surgically attached to my body with my arms tied down. To me personally, that, that is a fate that I would never personally want. The alternative is to stop life-prolonging treatments and choose hospice, which focuses on comfort, pain management, and quality of life. But studies show that far fewer African Americans enroll in hospice compared to whites and the consequences can be devastating for the terminally ill. We've got food deserts. We've also got pharmacy deserts, and this is a serious problem. Without the comfort care provided by hospice, African Americans have less access to pain medication, especially if they live in low-income neighborhoods. You know, if they're under the care of hospice, well, the hospice will bring that medication to that neighborhood. But if you have to go and actually refill a prescription, it can be a real problem for people who may not have a car and who can't figure out how to get to a pharmacy somewhere else. Hospice is available to most people with terminal illness, but studies have found that many African Americans will instead opt for life-prolonging treatments and surgery. Many people associate hospice with hastening death or giving up hope. Why should I trust that you're going to do the right thing for me? Give me everything. Reverend Cynthia Carter Periliot is a minister at the Allen Temple Baptist Church in East Oakland. Statistics will tell you that in communities of color, particularly African-American community, they always say, give me everything, you know, all the treatment that there is, because typically we don't get the treatment we need. If you put a doctor-patient relationship, particularly between a, a white doctor and an African-American patient, into the context of our nation's history, you can understand so easily why that kind of an interaction of a white doctor coming in and saying, hey, here's the reality of the medical situation, might actually make an African-American patient withdraw, retrench, lose trust, feel that once again they're being left behind by a system that has left them behind so many times. 
doing everything to stay alive is part of African-American culture that can be traced back to the days of slavery. The country's long history of racism and poverty included unequal access to medical care. Historic wrongs, such as the Tuskegee syphilis experiments of the 1930s, have only served to reinforce African-American mistrust of the medical system. The U.S. government had ultimately a cure for syphilis, but they did not provide that cure to these African-American men. Unfortunately, most of them died. It was a senseless death. It did not have to happen. And frankly, the um, powers that be, particularly the government, did nothing about that. Come on and join us, sing this little song. Stand up and greet your neighbor, won't you? Mm, Jesus in me loves the Jesus in you. Bereliot had her own positive experience with hospice many years ago when her father died of cancer. She said the staff took good care of him. They were kind, caring, and compassionate. But she noticed that very few African Americans enrolled in hospice. Most of them knew little about it, and the medical staff was all white. Why don't we see more health professionals that are people of color, Asian, Latinos, African American? Where are we in this mix? And um, the light came on, and immediately I saw it. I said, this is ministry. This is ministry at the heart of it all. This is ministry. Periliot realized that houses of worship needed to become more active in end-of-life care to overcome the historical mistrust of the medical system. Seventy percent of African Americans are religious, and churches are highly respected institutions. The faith community, frankly, uh, I think is one of the last uh, bastions of resource out there for communities where there is some level still of trust. Trust is huge on this issue of advancing illness and aging and end of life. You really need to know that you can get trusted information from trusted individuals that have no motives other than they want the best for you. Come on, help me lift him up. Lift him up. Lift him up. In partnership with five churches, Periliot started the Alameda County Care Alliance, a faith-based nonprofit providing critical support for people with advanced illness and their caregivers. It's considered the nation's first community faith-health partnership of its kind. Ministers and faith leaders are trained to help their congregants prepare for the end of life. At the heart of the ACCA's program is its navigation system. Community care navigators are trained to provide support and connect participants with needed resources, such as transportation, meals, medical services, and hospice care. Hi, Mother Martin. How are you doing? How you doing? I'm fine. All right. Thanks for allowing me to come by today. How you feeling? I'm doing pretty good so good. far. Alexis Owens is a navigator with the ACCA. She's checking up on 98-year-old Hannah Martin, who lives in Oakland. Since the death of her husband, Martin has suffered from grief, loneliness, and hypertension.
And now she's fallen behind on her bills, which causes added stress. And um, I know we scheduled, I think, at least two payment arrangements Mm -hmm. with Mm PG&E. Have you been able to kind of follow those? Yeah, we've been following that. Martin and Owens attend the same church. What a blessing it is, What a blessing it is that you've allowed me to meet Mother Martin. And we've been able to build a relationship, oh God. Each visit ends with a prayer. As she nears the end of her life, Martin knows she can turn to Owens and the ACCA for help. They will connect her with hospice, comfort care, or whatever medical services she wants. Every year, the Alameda County Care Alliance hosts a one-voice mass choir with hundreds of people from its church partners. This event celebrates the work of caregivers and brings together ministers, faith leaders, and volunteers. Periliot says the ACCA has grown tremendously over the last few years. We've got our first funding in 2014. Um, In less than 12 months, we had 550 people. So that's a lot of folks having their needs met through this program. Year two, our numbers practically doubled. Uh, We're well over, you know, 2,500, close to 3,000 plus folks now in our third year. So this is just our third year. There's no lack of need, I promise you. The ACCA hopes to expand throughout the Bay Area and connect with Latinos and Asians someday. Major cities such as Los Angeles, Chicago, and New York have expressed interest in replicating the ACCA's navigator system. If the model spreads nationwide, it could go a long way in reducing racial disparities in end-of-life care. For Cross Currents, I'm Joanne Marr. Joanne's report was produced for the USC Annenberg Center for Health Journalism's 2018 California Fellowship. Coming up tomorrow, part two of her series on racial disparities in end-of-life care and the impact it has on Asian and Latino immigrants. I go 